process of figuring out how can we, we trigger a buyer's emotions forces us to go through all kinds of problems and what happens if they don't solve the problem. And it just gets us a little more familiar with the subject matter at hand so that when we do get a positive reaction to a cold call or to a cold email, that we're in a bit more of a confident position to have a conversation because we feel confident in our knowledge about the problems we solve and their world. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was John Selig. He's the self-described guy who helps sales reps understand buyers through the lens of comedy. Which is a great take on B2B selling. I always like talking with John. He brings something unique and fun to how to think about aspects of selling. In particular, how to use humor as an integral element of your selling process. Now, we all know it's tough for any seller to stand out from all the noise in a way that quickly grabs a buyer's attention and in a way that also demonstrates relevance to the prospects. And so what we're talking about today is how and why you can do that through the process of writing humor and how that helps sellers connect with buyers and how the right humor can be all important connecting tissue, if you will, between buyer and seller. So we get into this and much, much more. Before we get into John, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. John, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Well, it's nice to have you. So where's, where's here for you? Here is Montreal, Canada, and uh, we are in the, the heart of a glorious summer. Heart of... So it's like uh, 10 months of winter and two months of bad skating, I think is how I've heard it described. Uh, no, it's more like uh, 15 months of winter and uh, several months of construction. Of construction, yeah. Well, you got well, you to you build while you can, right? We have a lot of roads that take 10 years each to repair, and uh, therefore the, 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 the city is awash in a sea of orange. Uh, it's the reflection off the cones that are everywhere. <laughs> well, yeah, winters are hard on the roads up there. So, it is. Yeah. All right, well, tell folks a little bit about what you do. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a guy who spent uh, about a dozen years selling technology, started off as a SDR in the Oracle world and did inside sales and moved into field sales. Let's just call it full cycle for an Oracle partner. And uh, in about 2011, my career took this weird left turn and I started doing stand-up comedy. And, and the joke I like to say is that my 12 years in sales was a, was a very well-paid internship for my career in mainly unpaid stand-up comedy. Uh, and in that time, well, uh, and so you just to be clear, you were trying to do stand up full time. I wouldn't say that it was just something I got very addicted to. And okay. it was, I had sort of stagnated as a sales rep. Let's just say, I mean, I was doing everything I was asked and I was hitting numbers, but I sort of stopped caring and therefore stopped growing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, quite, quite frankly, uh, I just was like, I don't know if I really want to do this the rest of my life. Just, you know, speaking with CFOs and CIOs about, what kind of data warehousing needs they had or, or what their ERP strategy looks like for the next 10 years. Um, it was, it was, it was, I learned a lot from it. I, I succeeded at it, but I just knew I wasn't built to be a lifer uh, in, in, this, in this domain. And so I started doing comedy because I had an artistic and creative side and I sort of fell into stand-up comedy and I just became very addicted to it. And right out of the gate, 
I was like, oh my God, this is like on my own startup. I have to create things that audiences want and I have to learn to mm -hmm. package them up and deliver them with short, impactful messaging that demonstrates I get you guys and allows me to relate to them at the same time and be relevant. And therefore, today, I've kind of married these two backgrounds to create comedy writing for sales teams where I show sales reps how they can uh, roast their prospects' pain, start more conversations, have better ones, and keep their day jobs. How's that for a pitch? <laughs> well, unless they want to go into stand-up comedy full-time. So, <laughs> so you, you say that, that it's less about telling jokes, and you said more about the process of writing humor. Uh, so tell us what you mean by that. That helps reps learn how to learn how to uh, you know, connect better with with prospects. Yeah, when I when I was at Oracle, there were little niche jokes that would go around, usually about a, a major competitor that has a three letter name, which will go unnamed on this podcast. No, most most of us competed against them at some time or another. So yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and and these jokes would circulate, and they would work with the buyers. They'd work with each other, and I always wonder where do these jokes come from. And so when I started comedy writing for sales teams, my goal was to help sales reps come up with humor that their, their, their audiences, a.k.a. their buyers, would love that would paint pictures of, you know, what's going wrong in their business or a problem they could solve for them mm -hmm. to demonstrate that deep insight uh, that, that builds trust and credibility with prospects. And throughout the journey to writing these jokes, I realize is where the big value is for my for, for companies I've worked with. So let's face it, if I'm going to walk into a comedy club and I look at the audience, the first thing I have to do is be able to, to size them up a little bit and understand who they are and deliver material that sure. I think they're going to like and that they're going to connect with. And of course, you know, sometimes, sometimes you write some humor that doesn't go anywhere with audiences. But if I know, for example, that they are all suburbanites over a certain age, um, and, and you know maybe this is uh, this is the part of the country they live in, and this is the weather climate, I'll be able to write material that really reflects who they are and that they're going to buy into, versus coming at them from a totally um, opposite perspective. And so, if I want to write a joke to highlight a problem that, let's say, uh, my, my my target audience or my my prospects. Um, uh, is, uh, are struggling with, I need to understand everything about that audience. I need to understand what they're trying to achieve, what their desired end state is, what goes into their, well, how do they spend their days, who are their key stakeholders, what other roadblocks are in their way. And then once I've isolated, you know, how I can make their life better, how can I describe that problem to them? What's going to happen if they don't solve the problem? Like classic sales training is if if they, if they choose not to make any changes, what's going to happen to the business? What are the consequences of doing nothing? Who else is affected by it? And if you capture all this stuff and you really take the time to hash out how a particular problem impacts your buyer, you end up with this whole laundry list of knowledge and insight about your buyer's world. Uh, and and I have something that I realized when I was calling up CFOs and CIOs is, that most sales pros sell stuff they've never used to people whose jobs they've never had in industries they've never worked. Sure. What's well, sales? And this process of crafting humor that triggers an emotion within our buyer forces us to really sit down and understand our audience, our relevance to them, how we can make their life better, and find new phrasing, words, and creativity to help paint that picture.
Yeah, I mean, okay. So what you describe is is really a process you have to go through and understanding you need to have to create messaging that you said is relevant, captures their attention, whether it's humorous or not, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like, and I'm so, not trying to turn. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm definitely not trying to turn uh, reps into stand-up comedians, but <laughs> if every rep has one good go-to joke that paints a picture for their buyer about why a particular challenge sucks for them and, and what it could do to them trying to reach their objectives, uh, it can be delivered over and over across different channels, and that, that's a value of having the right message. But again, just the journey of crafting that message forces reps to share insight and knowledge and creativity uh, and, and helps boost them their conversation skills through this process. Yeah, I mean, as you're describing it, it seems to me like it's just it's another form of story, right? That you're yeah, good, you're good jokes. Yeah, absolutely, and good jokes ultimately are are two sentence stories. And so, I guess as as I think about this, so it's like when you engage with a a team, is is the objective to come up with you know humorous anecdotes? You call them jokes, but I mean, to me, it's like gosh, one thing to be great. Setting aside sort of a structured, you know, joke with a setup and a punchline and so on is is just getting people to lighten up and have more fun, right? To I mean to to inject humor into the process, whether it's structured or not. Yeah, absolutely. And just that that journey, I think, frees people up because part of the challenge is okay. You guys use a lot of buzzwords. Um, we we ten x scalability. Uh, you know, you know, what does that really mean? Can, can, what are some other ways we can just say that in simple English? And, you know, cause I think, I think a lot of younger reps in particular, you know, they feel they need to say what's maybe it says on the website or what they've been told to say, but buyers don't always register with that. And sometimes they, it doesn't always register with buyers. And sure. sometimes buyers know that they're reading from a, a very particular kind of script and, you know, <laughs> I'm if, sure they if, recognize if, it pretty quickly. They do. And the trick is to sound more credible, and I hate this term, but authentic and real. And, and the journey to assembling humor forces us to find synonyms and phrasings and even cliches that can be used in, in making certain points and pictures and, and, and making reps just ultimately sound a little bit more human and cut through the noise. Yeah, I, mean, I think humor has lots of, uh, lots, has a, a variety of uses in sales is... You know, when it doesn't hurt to be self self deprecating, you know, to be you know a little aware of the fact that this is not rocket science or brain surgery or life, life matter of life or death. What you're selling, um, I find that that certainly is is a good way to be authentic and come across and and help your ability to connect with someone. Um, what other yeah you know, sort of uses have you seen of, of humor that because I, I look at it as you're sort you're as you're talking about it, I sort of envision well, this is a little bit further down the funnel when we're you know talking about certain things. But yeah, you know, the biggest barrier for most sellers still starts right at the beginning, right? Is how do I make that connection with someone that that opens the door and gives me that possibility of developing some credibility and some trust? Yeah, and if we look at the funnel, I mean, a good one-liner that paints a powerful picture it's most impactful at the top of the funnel, whether it's uh, upfront on a cold call, a cold email, 
you know, tease the subject line and then they open it up um, and the punchline is revealed, shall we say, uh, that makes a powerful point about, you know, the, the, about the, the vendor's relevance to the buyer. Um, LinkedIn connection requests, they're 300 characters. Uh, you know, our, our social selling, just posting uh, insightful stuff on LinkedIn, jokes are kind of underused. Uh, I will get to a, my definition of the joke in a bit. Um, a voicemail. And then as we move, you know, towards the middle of the funnel, um, I think any um, pre-sales engineer who's got to deliver demos, um, those are scripted most of the time. Um, and there's certain things we're showing, they're showing repeatedly. And I used to watch my pre-sales engineer colleagues at Oracle. They, they were using the same jokes over and over, demo after demo. And they would hit. Customers would buy into them because they were dropping some cutting insight on, well, on the buyer. Well, give an example what, what they were doing, if you can, if you um, remember. They, they would show a certain function that would address a certain problem, and they would, have, uh, they would highlight the problem through a joke or why that problem sucks. We're talking. We're talking. We're, we're talking. Fifteen years ago, so I don't have. No, no, uh, that's why I asked if you, whether you remember or not. But but yeah. the point being is, these were things they memorized. Uh, hey, you know, here's the moment where I always drop this this line, if you will. Yeah, it was. It, 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 they would insert it into a rough script, shall we say? I mean, they're they're going down a journey with the buyer, and they they kind of know where certain moments are going to happen, and they would sort of, as we say, punch up the moment with with sort of a, a joke they've used maybe. Dozens of times, but came off as very natural. Okay. See, I found humor is sort of very, in selling, I found it very situational because, you know, people I'm dealing with are all different, right? And often as you, when I talk to sellers, talk to sales managers about humor, they're kind of leery about it, right? Because they're worried about saying something Wrong, politically incorrect, uh, not reading the room. Interesting to take on that. Well, I'm not. First of all, I'm not teaching improv, right? Improv is about scripted, unscripted moments that are never repeated again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the other thing I teach is what you can and can't say in, in a in a in a one or two liner to your buyer. And you just, I think, checked off three boxes of things that you can't say. We can't talk about. Religion, politics, sex, gender, culture—you know, there's a way to do this. And the, the the types of the type of humor I get my uh, sales reps writing through my workshops is all meant to be clean, tasteful, and relevant to the subject matter at hand. Uh, uh, you know, the subject matter that that is the connecting tissue between buyer and seller. Mm-hmm. So we, you're right; we do have to be careful. The other thing I don't teach is I'm not teaching personality per se. I'm not giving personality lessons. Um, I'm teaching people how to craft some messaging that could just go into an email sequence and maybe they never utter it again, but it gets them some opens and some engagement on, on, uh, across different channels. So some who are a little bit more personal and confident in themselves might choose to inject it during a journey, uh, maybe a discovery with a, a discussion or a discovery, with a buyer somewhere else in the journey with the buyer, and some might just want to use it right up top in their, their cold outreach efforts. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So how do, you, how do you personally use humor when you sell? <laughs> I try to be as boring and uh, um, unexciting as possible, and it seems to uh, really prove my credibility uh, <laughs> in so many ways across so many channels. Now, I, look, I've been, I've been needing to be, obviously, 
Uh, I spoke to a sales trainer when I started, like asking for some advice. I had been putting out some videos um, from different conferences I was at, and they they, they were getting some attention. Mm-hmm. And you know, this one person said to me, "I've watched your videos. You're not funny." <laughs> and I said, "Well, I mean, I'm getting some good feedback from." people that are much younger than you, um, maybe they're more my audience. And so, so from, right from the beginning, I realized if, I'm, if I am going to do this, I do need to put out content that's funny. And in my own prospecting efforts, I need to sort of, uh, you know, eat my own champagne or drink your own dog food or whatever that expression is, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, tell us, tell us what you do. I mean, that's interesting because you know, I, I, I find I'm, I have a hard time writing funny um but i can be funny you know sort of spontaneously when i'm talking to someone i've you know sort of easy to spot irony and so on when people are talking love to point stuff out but uh yeah that planned humor is very difficult for me and, and that's normal i i've heard so many people could go through my workshops say hey i i've never tried this before i'm like well neither had i until until i started doing stand-up uh, because I know stand-up comedians look like they're just winging it up there, just having a conversation with you, but it's all really crafted. Uh, you know, they they failed mm-hmm. at it after they've delivered it. They've listened to their recording. Hello, call recording technologies. Oh, that's right, you guys. Um, we do that. Yes, <laughs> ring the name. Yes. Who knew? Who knew? Uh, listen to your calls and realize where did I fail with this particular audience? In your case. Um, you know, a micro audience, as I like to call it, an audience of one, where did I fail to connect with this audience? And how can I punch up my messaging a little bit, edit it, iterate it, refine it, hone it, and then make it easier for me to deliver uh, in a way that, that connects with the audience, the, 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 where the message connects with the audience? So, you know, for example, um, to, to answer your other question, I've... Look, I love writing jokes. It was something that I never did before I started doing stand-up. And since I learned sure. how they work, jokes are kind of formulaic by nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, uh, you know, there's, there's about a 10 kind of formulas of jokes. And whether or not – most stand-up comedians you watch employ a number of them. Yes, they probably use facial expressions and body language. But at the core of things, the words on paper, there's only like 10 kinds of jokes. Um, so let's talk about the classic one-liner. Mm-hmm. Where you compare one thing to another, and you kind of you're trying to highlight something that you want to bring up to your buyer, and and do it in a way that that um, shines a light on maybe something else. So right. let let's talk about cold outreach and cold calls. Um, when we when we dial someone or we send them a cold email, um, what what's you know the problem the a problem that I like to highlight for, for my audience is this is a cold call. Yeah, no, this no, is, can't hide that. Right. Right. So, you know, but also the beauty of the word cold is it's tied to many different emotions. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, when you're nervous, what happens with the word cold? Like, like you follow me? Well, Oh, you're asking me the question. I'm sorry. I, I am. I apologize. <laughs> I'm sorry. You didn't realize you're the asking me the question. This is my show. I ask the questions. I don't. Um, well, I don't know. Let's see. I'm nervous. Uh, my fingers get cold. Yep. Cold sweat. Maybe you get some cold feet when you're afraid. Sure. Um, when someone's angry at you, they're, 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 
give you the cold shoulder or maybe a cold reaction, a cold, hard stare. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's mm-hmm. cold blood. Um, when something is dead in the water, we say it's, you know, it's colder than the ground it's buried in. Right. And so something I've been even doing for myself lately is trying to find something try, try to try to tie um try to tie a problem I solve for buyers or demonstrate that I understand their challenges through this idea of what I call a, a cold opener, an icebreaker. Mm-hmm. So I would call you up and say, Hey Andy, my name is John Seeley. We've never spoken before. So this call is colder than the relationship between sales and marketing. <laughs> okay. Right. And it got the laugh. Right. With now, the, well, uh, yeah. With, with the right audience, that would, that would, yeah. I, I, and, I that's funny. And, and that's what, thank you. I appreciate that. I feel validated. Uh, but that's what <laughs> I'm sure you're waiting that, all day just for that. Yes. Exactly. And, oh, and that's what it comes down Yeah. <laughs> and that's what it comes down to. It's the right audience. Uh, if I were to call up a CFO and tell them that joke, I'm sure they get it, but they wouldn't care. Yeah. Whereas, you know, what I'm doing is I help sales and marketing teams. And I mm-hmm. know that's an issue for CROs that I call. If I was mm-hmm. calling a head of sales development, uh, I use this line, this call is colder than your, than a, than a, than a, sorry, this call is colder than an SDR sweat their first day dialing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're not no, laughing I, and I don't, I don't care. Well, <laughs> I was smiling. Um, yeah, the first one I thought was funny. I mean, it's like, yeah, they don't all have to appeal to everybody. No, but at the very least, I'm being relevant. I'm showing that I know as an SDR leader that some of your reps might have call reluctance. But I also think that even if even if the, the joke you know, doesn't make somebody guffaw, or it's like, it's different, right? It's, 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 yeah, it's just more, if it's delivered well, it's just more, human, if you will. And it's, it's different. So if you're trying to capture someone's attention, that's more likely to be an attention grabber than, Hey, do you have 27 seconds for me to tell you why? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, uh, that, that's kind of the one I sometimes compare things to, but you're right. It's different. It stands out. And look, my, the original joke I used to build the business was, Hey Andy, this is John Seeley. We've never spoken before. So this call will be like a craft beer, unique, refreshing, and ice cold. <laughs> See, I like that. That's good. I like that one. That gets the laugh, and and that's literally built the business because I've used that in cold emails, LinkedIn connection requests, cold calls. I've adapted it. I've practiced it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't demonstrate my relevance necessarily. So I started to write all these jokes that CROs or uh, sales development leaders would care about. All right, so try one. Well, we just or is that we example just, one you're talking about. The first two I did, uh, yeah. I, I already delivered two. Uh, another one could be this call is colder than uh, than an underperforming SDR at pipeline review. Colder than SDR, sorry, than an SDR, an underperforming SDR sweat at pipeline review. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, two of those four I really like. Um, that's okay, I'll, I'll take that hit, that hit yeah, rate. Yeah, that's a great, a great ratio probably for a comedian. Somebody's doing stand-up, they're probably thinking, oh, 50% hit rate. Not bad. I'll do that every night. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. But I think it's, it's yeah, it doesn't have to be funny, but it's, it is different. And I think that's, and it, if somebody can practice it and deliver it in a way that just seems spontaneous, then I can imagine a lot of power when you're talking to someone. It would capture my attention because it's like, yeah, this guy's, yeah, 
this person has something different. And that's sort of what we're all looking for is, is something different. Yeah. And, and kind of coming back to the theme, forget the, the jokes themselves for a moment. Um, to create them, I had to really unpack the problems I solve for, for sales leaders. So whether it's call reluctance, whether it's um, having engaging messaging, mm-hmm. whether it's reps who, who don't um, you know, have anything relevant to say to their buyers, um, th- these are all problems that I baked into these one. I wrote about 15 of these one line kind of jokes. Mm-hmm. I lean on that, that this is colder in the relationship between sales and marketing because it's, it's like the quickest, right? It's the one and it's, it's, to me, it's just the, it's, it's the best of all of them and it's the quickest. I like the craft brew one, I think better, but anyway, I mean, for me personally, but go ahead. <laughs> and so, so to assemble the jokes, we really had to capture a lot of understanding of who is our buyer and what are they struggling with? And which of those problems can I assist them with? And then tie it to an emotion um, associated with maybe the problem not getting fixed. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, hey, if you're listening to this, it's, it's, for me at least, you know, one of the, the major points that what you're talking about, John, is, is selling should be fun, right? And, one of the first places that shows up if you're not having fun is in your initial interaction with a prospect. I mean, if this is drudgery, if you're fearful, if if you have the reluctance you talked about, or you just sort of are afraid to experiment to try something different, you come across so heavily scripted as so much, uh, you know, so many of the the sellers do when they first do cold outreach. Yeah, this is just an opportunity to be yourself. You know, try the thing, find something that works for you and and try it even if it's not the script right even if it is uh maybe you got fall on your face a few times and that's okay it's never happened to me except on this podcast it was the first time i ever fell on my face was was first time no jokes. one ever laughed at one of your jokes i understand <laughs> I, i've been batting a thousand till today andy <laughs> but uh, you, i'm such a tough audience you broke the streak right but it's it gets again back to the topic we talked about at the top is just Selling is fun. Yeah, part of the reason I like what you're doing is is it's injecting this element of fun. You know, we make it so damn serious, and this is not serious work. Yes, we're trying to help people. Uh, yeah, I do have had some clients that sell products that literally save lives. But for most of us, yeah, this piece of SaaS software, the world's going to keep on spinning whether you sell it or not. And and so have fun. Yeah, I remember this, this story from uh, Jerry Seinfeld, speaking of comedians, and his father was this, a traveling salesperson. You know, he's a sales guy. He out traveled a lot. And Jerry was on an interview show. I think he made the Graham Norton show or something. I saw a clip of this online where he's talking about this game his father played, which was when he encountered a prospect who just wasn't smiling, wasn't engaging, standoffish, is... Jerry's father said he'd play this game called Break the Face. Right? He would see what lengths he had to go to to get this person to smile. And, you know, I've done that in the past. I have people I, yeah, you, know, you run into, you just, you get no reaction at all. You completely flat affect, non-responsive. And sometimes even people who agreed to meet with you, right, after the initial cold outreach, you get their... What do you do? And I think the story of, of Seinfeld's father was great. As he, he would just 
he would just keep talking, trying new things to try to get that person to to laugh or to smile and to gauge. And yeah, I've done something very similar many times in my career. It's like, as long as I'm here, let's see what we can make happen. Yeah. And I mean, how humor, you know, we talk so much about inside sales because it's, it's reality for so many today. But uh, I remember the first time, not the first time, but, but I was selling ERP uh, for an Oracle partner and we're the third vendor on, on the, you know, that procurement's forcing them to look at. Mm-hmm. And I know we're not winning this deal, but I have to travel six hours to go make the presentation because oh, we've done all the work. What's that? Yeah, I love those. Those are great. That was, that was the best. And I'm, I'm in my early 30s at this point, uh, which is this age I still am uh, 14 years later. And um, I remember getting into the, the boardroom, a bunch of middle-aged guys who've been in this manufacturing plant probably for 25 years on average each. And their arms are folded and they don't want to be there because they already know who they're buying. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, who is this kid? What, what can he possibly tell us? And their arms are just like, like, like we, we don't want to listen. And I realized like, and this is way before I ever did comedy. I need to make them smile and like me really quickly. Otherwise this is going to be a long hour, hour and a half presentation. And I was able to do it just kind of more naturally. I wasn't writing jokes back then. I wasn't using anything scripted. I, I just knew how to connect with them on that, that, that human slash emotional level. And I got them to unfold their arms and pay attention. Uh, and the moral of the story is we closed a $16 million deal. The second moral of the story is don't believe the final punchlines to my stories because I don't think we want the deal. But it wasn't the nightmare presentation that I right. felt it was going to be going in. It just made it easier. They did listen. I think we got engagement out of them. They asked questions. Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel like they were just checking off a box that procurement had uh, put on the, uh, the purchasing sheet. And so what did you do? I'm curious. What did you do to, to get them to drop their guard? It was definitely, it's funny because because I, I basically don't teach improv, but I was using improv as probably sure. something pretty situational. Well, yeah, powerful. But go ahead. It, yeah, if, but, but I also think some people need to know, you know, I, I don't believe that like you can teach people to be funnier, to be funny. I do believe you can teach people to be slightly funnier. Um, you, there's certain people who are never going to have that natural uh, spark to light up a room. They're never going to be the life right. of the party. Right. But I do believe that that's where having a couple of lines in your back pocket can can sort of trick people into thinking you're you're spontaneously funny. If you know, but it takes practice. It takes some timing, and you're right. It takes some failure along the way. Um, and I always recommend whether you're using humor in cold calls or in presentations uh, or in demos, just just do them in front of low stakes audiences. Don't ever try something new for the first time in a very uh, uh, tight, you know, pressure-filled situation. Like, I never test new material out on, on a paying audience. Good advice. Yes, good advice. Yeah, you know, if you've been working for a year on a deal and and you're done with the Bake Off presentation, yeah, you don't want to start rolling out jokes you never used before. Not wise. No. But I think the analogy exists, though, as, as you think about that, because, yeah, I write a lot about the, the need for experimentation, and this could be, you know, using humor or, you know, observational humor, if you will. And yeah, try your new material on the road. <laughs> try material out on, as you said, on low stakes audiences and keep experimenting. But you, you, you used the term observational humor 
And the types of humor that I feel sales reps could benefit from is, is observational humor that demonstrates their subject matter expertise around the buyer's world to highlight that credibility and to build that trust and to highlight not just problems, but, but what could happen if they don't solve a problem? Like what's a, you know, tell a joke that, that paints a picture of what could go wrong if you ignore this problem for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Or again, if you're paying attention and you have the domain expertise or product expertise or both that required is invariably in any sort of selling situation, you're going to encounter certain paradoxes where the buyer says one thing and does another or says they do one thing, but they're really doing another. And those present opportunities to sort of apply some humor and, and sort of nudge people and poke people a little bit and point out the paradox that exists. And just you have to pay attention. If you're so focused on delivering the script and you're not aware of what's going on and the, the personalities and so on, you'll miss those opportunities. But those can become very powerful because suddenly somebody goes, oh, you know, we didn't realize that. It's timely that you said that because I was trying to slide another 17 jokes in and just recall which one. I was trying to recall which I needed to pump in here. So uh, you kind of jarred my memory that, yes, I need to pay attention and engage you and listen to you. <laughs> yeah, it pays to listen to the host. Uh, but I think that's, for sellers, again, you have to be more relaxed and feel confident. And don't be afraid to, again, maybe not in the highest stake ones that you talked about, but don't be afraid to, to try things. I mean, I, I, so my version was, you know, trying to break the face sometimes with the prospects is, if somebody's really full of themselves and, you know, sort of obsessed with maybe the sense of their own self-importance, I, I try to sort of poke that, see if we can deflate that a little bit and have, actually have a conversation. Because um, on the one hand, I know if I don't, we're not going anywhere with this, this opportunity. And when you have sort of that, okay, well, I'll take a risk. And if the risk works, great. We create an opportunity. If not, yeah, we're probably not in the game anyway. It's fun. Try it. Go for it. But you, you kind of touched on something, which is I think a lot of sales reps lack some confidence. Why? Because coming back to it, like, like again, I was dialing CFOs and CIOs. I had an MBA, a Bachelor of Commerce. I know very high level what these guys do. I've sat through training at Oracle. But do I really know what a CFO of a $500 million or a billion-dollar company is doing on a day-to-day -day basis? I, pr I, I kind of don't. No. Like, we, we, right. we, we have these ideas. Right, you know this, this textbook idea, uh, and it's intimidating to have a conversation with them. Uh, if you do win their trust, they might talk at a level where you sort of have to nod politely and go, "Yes, I'm, I'm, I fully understand what you're saying." But if you don't have the right subject matter expertise, you might not be able to really engage them in conversation and ask the, the best possible questions. Well, um, yeah, I'm not sure that's true, though. So, I mean, yes, to some to some degree, yes, but yeah, you know, I think this is where sellers stumble is that rarely, rarely, rarely in decades of my career, uh, which are a couple decades longer than yours, have ever had a prospect say, hey, that's a stupid question. And actually, you get rewarded for the effort of trying to understand and ask questions. So, yeah, I think that the, just reacting to that one point, it's like, yeah, you're shouldn't feel, and this gets back to the confidence, it shouldn't feel lack of confidence because you don't know everything. Because you're getting in, you're always going to be in situations where you don't know everything. And some such situations early in your career may know less. But the way you learn 
you said you got an MBA. Well, for me, my MBA was selling to CEOs and learning about their business and asking them about their business and what they did and how they succeeded, how they built the companies as part of selling to them. That was my MBA. And no one ever refused to answer a question. Oh, no, and I don't disagree with anything you just said. Um, where, where I was going with it was, uh, tying back to, to sort of the subject matter at hand, is this process of figuring out how can we, we trigger a buyer's emotions mm-hmm. um, for, forces us to go through all kinds of problems and what happens if they don't solve the problem. And it just makes us, uh, get, gets us a little more familiar with the subject matter at hand so that when, when you know, we do get a positive reaction to a cold call or to mm. a cold email, that we're in a bit more of a confident position to have a conversation um, because we, we feel confident in our knowledge about the problems we solve and their world. And I, I think, you, you know, uh, you, you touched on something great, which is you, you had that, that privilege of selling to CEOs. But I, I think most, you know, especially SDRs and AEs, that they're not, ha- they're, they're not, they're not in there in the office having a conversation face-to-face. They're trying to get their attention really quickly over a phone or LinkedIn or, or, or cold email. Um, and they got they got to be crisp and they got to they got to get right to it, I guess. Um, and you're right when you're in front of someone. I don't think anyone will ever say to you, "That's a terrible question. Get out of my office." Well, yeah. Well, so let's just step back for a second on some of that because <laughs> it gets into all my hot buttons, <laughs> which oh. is this this idea that uh, virtual selling, in the absolute sense, is so new because. As I like to say, virtual selling started when Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. And for most of my career, almost all of my career, the overwhelming majority of the interactions I had with buyers were virtual. Yes. <laughs> whether, it's, whether it's the phone or uh, in the, the early days or, you know, Zoom. I mean, I was, as I've said on the show many times, I yeah, spent 15 years doing international business, working for startups. We didn't have money to travel willy-nilly. So I was closing multi-million dollar deals with one visit, sometimes two, and most of it was yep. handled virtually. So, yeah, I think that's, it's, it, for me, the learning experience just didn't matter whether I was in person, didn't matter whether I was on the phone, or you know, on a video call, is just have the confidence, the point I was making earlier is be confident that you have value as a human being, first of all, and secondly, is that if you're curious and you ask questions, you know, sincere interest to learn, it's exceedingly rare that anyone will turn you down, regardless of what level they're at. So we see CEOs that say, look, we don't get no value. We have received no value from our interactions with, with salespeople. Well, I guarantee the salespeople are going in pitching. And you can go in as an inexperienced person as, as I was, who looked 16 years old, if that, <laughs> on my first few years of my sales career, and go talk to CEOs or you know, high-level executives of mid-sized companies, and they're happy to share their knowledge if you show a sincere interest that you're not just pitching, you're not just there to sell something, but you're there to learn and to help them. They'll give you the time of day. And so that's where your confidence comes in, is that you, know, that you have value. Yeah, and I, I guess... Um... You know, most selling today is consultative. At least most of the companies I work with are all consultative sellers. And all I just want them to be able to do is, is bolster their knowledge so they can ask those right questions and, and add those kind of, that kind of value that you're talking about. Yeah. 
Well, I wish more selling were consultative. I know it's labeled as consultative, but <laughs> well, it needs most, to be. Most most of the you know, buying experience research that's published shows that they're not really the buyer's not reporting that that's what they're getting. Uh, but I think that's an opportunity still for, for sellers, and it's not going to happen unless you, as you've spoken about here, unless you find a way to connect with the person on the other side in a way that's authentic in a way that's interesting, that grabs their attention, that makes them want to invest more of their time with you. And if humor is a way to differentiate yourself, then use it. Absolutely. And look, I don't teach those questions to ask. I just help them. I just help sales reps better process the answers once they do ask the questions and get, and get mm-hmm. answers from their buyers. Well, I think that's that is subject of a whole other conversation. Is that you were training sellers to ask questions. We're not training them to understand the answers. And it's not a matter of product knowledge. It's a matter of follow-up questions. It's a matter of the type of questions you ask to make sure that you get to an understanding, as opposed to just sort of, oh yeah, I've asked these ten questions. I've got the answers to them. I know. Yeah, you know, the buyer's requirements at this point. Yeah, you may know them, but you don't understand. And until you get to that level of understanding, it's going to be a little problematic for you. Oh yeah, when I was an SDR, I get a controller or vice president of finance on the phone. I touch a hot button, and they would start. You know, I triggered them, and they would start verbally dumping, uh, kind of what's going on. And they go, yeah, you've touched on something. This is a problem. And I'd ask a question, and I just start jotting everything down and figure, I don't really understand everything they're talking about, but I'll go away to a pre-sales person and we'll, we'll try and break this down and, and, and you know, interpret it a little bit better uh, and come back at the cu- customer with, with maybe a next step. Um, so it was hard for me at that age to really understand everything they were saying, but you know, do my best to kind of capture it all. And, I, and I'd always didn't have the confidence to engage them in discussions. Uh, well, I, I knew what questions to ask, but I, but I felt like, I didn't have the answers for them, and that wasn't my job, though. Right. I think this is, this is what's missing sort of from basic, basic training, let's say, for sellers is just talk about what you just talked about, curiosity. You know, I'm not saying you weren't curious, but you were busily thinking your job was, I need to capture all this information, and I'm going to go talk to somebody who can help me sort of understand it. But first thing that happened is that person understands it better will say, well... Yeah, we should have asked this question. What do we know about this? You know, all these other points of data you need to collect. Well, you could go back. Or we just train, again, train sellers. Is that If somebody says something to you and you don't understand it, ask a follow-up question. Another one, until you do understand it. And maybe you find out that you're know, going to go through the allotted time you have for your call, and maybe you didn't get through everything you wanted. But I believe that if you got to a deeper level of understanding, even with just a one thing out of, let's say, three that you're trying to get to, you're much better off than having a superficial level of understanding of the three. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, John, we're running out of time, but um, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? There are two primary ways. Uh, obviously, LinkedIn. People can just find me, John Seelig. The H in John is both silent and invisible. <laughs> and uh, in case that joke went over your head, it's J-O-N. There is no H in John. Um, and just my website, Uh 
go visit it, check it out, subscribe to get some, some weird content I put out uh, about the parallels between sales and comedy and how the process of writing humor helps make you more confident and, and more knowledgeable mm-hmm. and helps you find new ways to connect. Yeah, I, I, I have so much admiration for people that can write funny, right? Yeah, like watching a sitcom and, and it's just like, how do they do that, right? How do they, how do they spot that, that that's funny and so on? Yeah, and I think it's a great tool for someone to explore. I mean, I think there's a lot of tools like humor, like improv, uh, yeah, outside sort of the realm of conventional sales training that can be so useful. And yeah, if you feel like you've you've you're listening to this and you feel like you sort of done the sales training thing, you feel like you're a little stuck or you want to make selling more fun, yeah, check it out. I mean, it's let's let's make sales fun again. Let's do it. All right, John, thank you for joining me. Thanks again for having me, Andy. Great to be here. And, I, you know, I, I, we used to run into each other so regularly at conferences. Uh, I can't wait till uh, we get back to doing that again. Yeah, I'll even uh, uh, go over to the, um, uh, to the bar and get you a free glass of wine. Just fully on me, Andy. Oh, perfect. Thank you. All right, John, <laughs> thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, John Selig, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.